Welcome to this new episode of the Learn Buteco podcast. Today we are going to talk about sleep and we are going to start right away talking with Irene about her experience with her students around problems like sleep apnea, insomnia, etc. Say something about the Greek, the Greek sleep. <laughs> the Greek sleep, yes. Your experience of sleep and your Greek students. There's all sorts of things, snoring and sleep apnea and insomnia and waking up in the night in a panic. And... Yes, where to start? Uh, okay, a very, a very common students say is that um, their sleep time becomes less as much as they practice and they feel much more refreshed when they're waking up. And many of them are uh, very surprised from that. It's uh, very strange for something so familiar to change due to a breathing practice. So they're all very, very surprised. It's like, can this be? Almost they don't believe it. Many times when people have sleep apnea, in particular, they have a big trouble in wearing their mask. Say, okay, I will do it. But many of them are not able to sleep with this thing on their face. So these cases are uh, like they, they come to us really urgently. They say, oh, I need your help to, to help me uh, get rid of this mask. And when they do, when they do the work and do the practice, they feel really uh, winners, really, really like heroes of their own night sleep because they gained it back. Many times they need to practice twice per night. One time um, in a workshop that we had three or four people with uh, sleep apnea wearing the CPAP machine, uh, Christopher came and he really pushed them to and invited them to practice a lot during the next uh, days in order for them to win their sleep back. And I realized then that it's a matter of really doing the work for many, some nights in a row and winning this lost battle of the, of the past. And many of them do, and we have testimonials about that. And it's really surprising. And once uh, I had been attacked from a doctor who was specialized in sleep apnea, Christopher supported me with that. My knees were trembling out of fear because he said he will um, sue me and make different things because um, uh, we share the results of the practice um, in sleep apnea and the ability of people to get rid of the CPAP machine. Uh, usually doctors and the medical community think that this is impossible. They just prescribe a kind of certain machine that you need to wear and that's it. And uh, people go there to adjust it. And that's the, the service they provide. They never tell someone that you may be free of that ever again. So I had a colleague of mine, cardiologist, who came to our practice, to our, to our team, because uh, due to the CPAP wearing that he, he wore due, uh, due to his sleep up, his uh, sleep apnea, he developed a mild form of chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, COPD. So he said, I never smoked in my, in my life. And please help because I need to get rid of this CPAP machine in order for me to gain my health back. So things are really serious when you when someone attacks this sacred somehow breathing during night with this very brutal way. It's a brutal piece of machinery, that's for sure. I had one one uh, student's wife said he sounded like Darth Vader. Yes, but she said she said it's like sleeping next to Darth Vader. 
If as Botaiko practitioners and Botaiko aficionados, all you have to do is look at a person sleeping and the way that they are breathing. And then you multiply this by six, seven or eight or whatever. Okay. And then you have a lot of CO2, which is being lost. Vast amounts. I think that if you like had some system so that you could program your daytime and breathe like you are when you're asleep, you'd last about 10 minutes and you'd collapse because you breathe, you can breathe so badly at nighttime and you don't even know it. And if you are breaking up your sleep and re-engineering or constantly changing your sleep patterns, it would be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Vladimir. Yes, pauses, absolutely big pauses, very helpful. But after pauses, I think the best way or the strongest technique to improve your breathing would be during your sleep. Because that is where you really breathe like a pig. And that's if you're, you know, you know, we'll take a method. You try to be careful with your breath. You try not to breathe through the mouth. You try to restrict your food. You do a few pauses. Yes, and then you go to sleep. Oh, boy. Here we go. And so by breaking sleep and changing sleep, I can't think. Correct me. Am I mistaken, Vladimir? But I know for myself personally, that's the best way. I can do a lot more with my to, to improve my situation if I'm more, if I'm vigilant at night. I consider you like just, I think, uh, sleep such a habit. Of course, it's not easy to kill old bad habit, but how we can make it? Just to remind our bodies to breathe shallow. That's why we should break, people should break their sleeps to correct, like what Christopher said. And at the same time, we recommend students uh, to practice in lie down position daytime. When they are not sleepy, they can control their breathing because they can see find, they might be surprised in the beginning. Yes, Christopher. I mean, you know, I taught quite a few monks and a lot of the monks, they have an interest also in things like yoga and so forth. And the yogi, his job is supposed to be to overcome his craving for food, to overcome his appetite. He also has another job, to overcome sleepiness. Because you can't meditate if you're asleep. You cannot do if you're, you know, you, that's not meditation. That's having a nap, you know. So these are, these are considered obstructions. Appetite, food appetite, you've got to overcome it. You've got to uh, suppress it and, the, and, and to deal with tiredness. And there's something very strange uh, occurred. What these monks, the conclusion they came to, and which actually led to me experimenting with this, if you did shallow breathing at night, awake, fully awake, so you sit in a dark room at two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning, you sit in a chair 
and you make very shallow breathing and you and try and do that, right? The conclusion we came to was that sitting and doing very shallow breathing at night reduced the need for sleep by half. So if you do two hours of shallow breathing at nighttime, you will need like three or four hours less sleep somehow. And that's what we all discovered just by doing it and waking each other up and reminding each other, and, oh, yeah. oh, three o'clock in the morning. Okay, sit here, do shallow breathing, you know. But the net result was that I learned how to live on two and three hours a day sleep. Yes, but I, but that doesn't mean I was working that whole time because I spent quite a bit of time just doing shallow breathing, sitting still. And it, it reduced my need for sleep a lot, particularly if you do it at night. Yes. And did it give you more energy, Christopher? No, I didn't feel any different energy-wise, but what it meant was I could go for hours and hours and hours and hours and say, I've been working and fiddling and diddling around here for 13 or 14 hours straight, and I I feel okay. I, I, I might rest a little bit. I don't even care if I sleep or not now. Now I want to rest. Yes, and I might sleep. Don't worry about that. But I much prefer to rest, to sit quietly, because it's much stronger medicine than sleep. I look at sleep not so good. Rest with a still mind, staying still, watching your breath, making shallow breathing, much better than sleep. Sleep is okay, a little bit here and there. You make a nice comparison, Christopher, with babies. <laughs> your your uh, comparison to a baby going to sleep by a rock band. Oh, yeah. I noticed that when I was working with a family and they had a baby, you know, a brand new one, you know. And the funny thing was that this, I basically they did practice Bottega method and we were discussing it. And said, hey, if it wants to eat, let it eat. If it wants to shit, let it shit. If it wants to sleep, let it sleep. If it doesn't want to sleep, don't worry, leave it alone. And when it got sleepy, you could see its little eyes began to do like this. And it didn't matter. You could put the baby in front of Black Sabbath at 6,000 decibels on a lump of cold concrete. This thing is going to sleep beautifully, easily. You know, and uh, that's what we that's what they discovered. And I watched I, I saw that happen. This little creature going to sleep and the, the whole house is like in an uproar and the baby in the middle there asleep. No problem. So this distinction between sleep and fatigue is very significant for students. Yeah, the more fatigued, the more they sleep. The worse they feel. The deeper breathe, the longer they sleep also. Because uh, sleep such a, what, two-edged seesaw. Sleep is deep brink is punishment. And people don't feel they refreshed, all right? They try to sleep longer because they would like to take a rest, good rest, okay? To restore energy. But it's po it is impossible with debris. That's why people people are trying to sleep longer. Wrong idea. So people what? Um, I have one question actually. So what's the big deal? Why why do we lose the carbon dioxide at night? 
Why is that such a big deal? What's the solution? We need to do pauses. Why is that? Could you explain? Because some people might be confused as to, well, sleep, of course, sleep is good. We, you know, everybody recommends to sleep eight hours per day. And if you can do it in one go, that's even better than if you interrupt your sleep. And this seems to all not be true from what you're saying. But this is, this is actually for people who already been practicing. You won't explain it very much to people who haven't learned something, right? And it's already getting up the scale of Bottega knowledge in a sense, you know? When you know about Bottega, let's say you're being lazy. Lazy and stupid you are. You're overeating, you're not practicing, you're not doing pauses, you're whatever. Okay, fine. But you're still not going to breathe through your mouth. And you're still going to pull yourself back when you go up the stairs because you think, oh, I will have a little break and because I don't want to breathe too much because you're aware that you shouldn't breathe too much. But when you go to sleep, <laughs> that's it. Forget it. You know, you're, you're, you're unconscious. And now all hell breaks loose, right? And even if you've been practicing good in the day, oh, very careful, very shallow, very light, very disciplined. Oh, good boy, good girl. And at nighttime became unconscious. Hey! You often talk about, um, compare it to a thief casing a joint. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, because <laughs> remember, Vladimir, that Butaika did, yeah. Uh, you wear a belt here, right? And it stops yeah. you. Yeah, it works perfectly until you start to breathe with the shoulders, right? Sure. And now you attach some more belts, right, to the other belt. So you can't do like this, you know? And you and you end up with all these chains and, you know, and, and belts and things to try to control your breathing during the night. And I think the, the, the better solution is to disturb your sleep pattern, develop other techniques to get your energy and sleep a little bit here and there, I would say, you know. But it takes some time because you have to incorporate it into your routine. And as you're changing your sleep pattern, you can get a little bit buggered up and you can feel a little bit weary at times. And it takes time. But if it, once you master it, I mean, I'm very grateful just for the knowledge and for my experience, my personal experience, because I know what to do, you know, with that, you know, I, I got my, I, I take a cup of coffee before I go to bed because I don't want to really sleep, sleep, sleep. I want to be half asleep, not, not fully asleep. Well, that's, that's interesting because someone, someone who suffers with insomnia, for example, will think like, what is this? What are we hearing here? Like if you suffer from insomnia, this is a big problem that some people have and Easy. yet it gets resolved with Buteyko. So how do we... Easy to fix with insomnia. Don't sleep. Just don't sleep with your insomnia. Keep on going. Keep on doing it. And when they sleep, they will sleep like a rock. Yeah. They're trying to get to sleep when they shouldn't be going to sleep. That's all. I pushed myself to stop sleeping for three days. Then I see... I did remember even when I say I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. some very, yeah, maybe on the street. I don't know. <laughs> I was a classic chronic fatigue student. I, when I was a child, I slept 12 hours a night, very often 10 hours a night. At school days, I slept not as much as at the weekend. 
And um, then I developed sleep, um, I developed insomnia when I was in my 30s. And I was awake three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, every night. And I couldn't get back to sleep. And the reason was, with, I'd wake up with heart palpitations and hot and sweaty and disorientated in my head. And the cause is deep breathing. I didn't know that. And that's why old people find some guy in his 70s and 80s and 90s. They're terrified. <laughs> They're up and all up and down all hours. You know, they're napping here and napping there. For you know, in the middle of the night, they're up and about. Because they know that they, they know instinctively, you know, that this is a this is a, a place of potential deterioration. You know, and they the, the diseases of civilization force everyone to sleep at the same times. Consequently, the lowest common denominator will win, and it's eight hours. Lord Buddha was asked, how many hours should you sleep? And he replied, well, the normal amount. Uh, why should it make any difference? Uh, three or four hours. Because back in those days, that was the normal amount, three to four hours. Now it's eight. Uh, that's why I would like what Marta said and Christopher together, right? People confused when they see should be awake due to palpitation, etc. They call this insomnia. Yeah, it's so not insomnia. Think, it's yeah, palpitations. Yeah. <laughs> they think they should sleep for eight hours. If they sleep less, they call this problem as such an insomnia. But what's interesting is that, that people who do sleep a uh, little have sleep problems, then they are tired during the day. They don't have energy. But with Buteco, you sleep less, but you do have the energy. So what's the difference? The thing is, is that I had a control pause of 10 seconds and I was deep breathing at night and throwing out lots of carbon dioxide. So if you learn the method and get your carbon dioxide back, then you're not going to be throwing the CO2 out at night, which is what I found very quickly. I, I recovered from that very quickly. I didn't learn how to manage my sleep very well for a few months, but I slept. There's two kinds of sleep. One is deep, unconscious REM sleep. And everybody needs this maybe every tw 10 or 20 hours. And if they don't, they go crazy. And this, this REM recalibration of neural pathways or whatever the hell it is, it's only about half an hour. It's not long. You don't need to be in bed for eight hours to get that. You only need uh, like uh, 20 or 30 minutes of that stuff, right? The other thing that you need is rest. And because we are not permitted to rest, we do rest when we go to sleep. So we do the two things at once. We rest our body, and then we also do the REM thing. The REM thing is necessary, absolutely necessary, but it's very short. And the other one of resting the body. So if you get uh, an hour or two of sleep, and then you've got another few hours of the body being perfectly still and quiet, you can be awake. It's as good as, it's much better than uh, four, six, or eight hours of sleep. Of course.
one is completely uncontrolled. The eight hours is an uncontrolled train wreck. But if you are taking 10, 15 minutes here and there uh, of unconsciousness, and then you are sitting quietly, still quiet and more upright and relaxed, relaxed, have the light off, don't do any work. You can just sit there quietly. Much better than sleep, unconscious sleep. Unconscious sleep, 20, 30 minutes a day, perfect. That's, it's enough. Can't do that with a control pause of 10. Sorry, Vladimir, you were saying it's because of deep breathing, right? Sure. And for, don't forget, we next bring from animal world, right? And look at any, every, I'm not talking about domestic animals, like fat cat. <laughs> I'm talking about wild animals, right? They sleep with some sort of awareness, what Christopher mentioned. They have deep sleep or stage of deep sleep, what they need. But it's just, yes, it lasts, what, 30 minutes maximum. The rest, they in a lot. Okay? I sleep with one eye open. Yeah, thank you. With one eye open, yes. And we should do the same. We next sprint with the same creatures, the same digestive system, the same, you see, cardiovascular system, okay? The same brain system. So what is it that happens at 3 a.m. typically? Well, in, in Western society, because everyone goes to bed at 10, 11, or whatever o'clock, and because of the eight-hour cycles which we work around, it's usually around 3 or 4 is when the person, uh, the breathing, the, the, the accumulation of deep breathing from being unconscious uncontrolled breathing get, reaches its uh, zenith. And some people would be four, some people would be five. You know, it just depends. People who work night shift, eventually it would start occurring during the day. So it's not about the night necessarily. It's more about your uh, circadian rhythms and all this stuff, you know, which they've mapped very carefully, but they don't know how to regulate it. If you regulate your breathing, if you regulate your breathing, you can... Uh, I mean, it's very peculiar. Um, one symptom which people don't know about is uh, intensive boredom, like that you're nearly being driven out of your mind, like on an airplane. Yes, like an airplane. And if you uh, can organize yourself and be focused and concentrated and you do shallow breathing, you can turn an eight-hour flight into about, I don't know, feels like about two and a half, just by sitting there and doing shallow breathing. And sleep is the same. You can do much the same kind of thing. You, you could treat it as, a, treat, you know, this uh, overcoming this uh, exhaustion by shallow breathing. Sleep sometimes, okay, most of the time, I think, is a psychological problem. Look, people might be abused by boss, okay? Might be humiliated, okay, or with negative information, etc., And they can see the sleep such a shelter. Oh, now I'm in bed under my, you see, duvet. Oh, I'm safe. Psychological, you see, thing. And at the same time, what Christopher said, it's combination because people need some rest. I had huge problems when I first knew Stalmatsky. If I don't get my sleep, I become an outrageous. I become wild, like a wild man. Because, you know, my whole day has been destroyed, you know, and I can become very furious. And also the same with food. If I don't have some breakfast by 10, 11 o'clock, that's it. Somebody is losing their head. 
you know, because I'm, I'm, I can't function. I cannot function. I am like dying in my, I can't think I can't work. And, uh, so my life was predicated very carefully around these two things. You know, I had to get the amount of sleep I needed and I had to get my meals on time. Otherwise all hell will break loose. And that's doesn't, that doesn't hell is breaking loose all the time now. So, uh, it's different. But uh, now it doesn't bother me. Before I was very particular about, and I know all my friends, particularly businessmen, who all day think about getting something and protecting something and fighting somebody. And it's all this conflict, you see? And uh, people who live in conflict, if they don't get their meals on time and they don't get their sleep on time, they go berserk. Anybody, you will see it. Oh, they're terrified not to get proper sleep because they can't function the next day. If I don't sleep properly, maybe I function better. Yeah. And the idea, the idea that this is a defense mechanism of the body to wake up with the palpitations and the migraines and the bad nightmares. I tell, I tell everybody, every hospital will tell you most of the strokes, most of the fatal asthma attack, most of the heart attack, most of the psychiatric breakdown when some normal accountant from Cockfosters is running through the streets naked or something screaming, it occurs between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Everyone knows this. This is not new. Yeah, that's the deepest just, sleep. Yes, yeah, to explain to people who she would like to watch us, all right? Why? Because people take horizontal position for so long. They she's still exhaling carbon dioxide. When they exhale carbon dioxide to certain limit, to so, sort of critical point, some disaster should happen. Some chronic disorder should come. Explain a little bit why horizontal position is so bad for breathing and sleeping. It's easy to check. What we ask our students to do practice in lie down position. And we want them, don't be surprised when you check your control pose and maximum pose, they will be lower. Yeah. Because yes, that's why what? we ask people to, to practice in lie down position to exchange breathing pattern, think, right? Think about it. You got the lungs and the bronchus, right? I got a cup here, right? And I'm the bottom of the cup. It's a cup, right? And the and the cup here, the bottom part is full of a, a, a liquid, heavy liquid, a liquid that is heavier than water. And then on top is water coming to here, right? Okay. And if you go horizontal, what will happen? The stuff's gonna leak out. Pause. You will lose more carbon. But even if, even if you lie flat on your back and you try to do shallow breathing, right? The stuff's gonna come out because it's easier for it to come out when you're in that position because of just gravity. Just gravity will mean it's easier for it to exit. So the air that you exhale will be richer in carbon dioxide. If you got a, what's it called, Vladimir, that, that machine to measure carbon dioxide? Capnometer. Capnometer, right? If, you, if, you're, if you're upright and you measure your, the level of CO2 coming off your breath, the level, if you do shallow breathing, it's very low. 
if you lie on your side and do shallow breathing, the capnometer will go up because the air that you exhale will be richer in CO2. And if you sit up... Oh, very less. interesting explanation because it seems to be true. Because what we know, right, from boutique experiments, some bad stuff usually should be accumulated on bottom of lungs. On bottom. That's why you see, uh, I accept very nice okay, comparison what Christopher made. Because if <laughs> this stuff, okay, is spreading, goes to bronchus, okay, it makes breathing deeper. Yes, nice. Buteka, I don't, I don't remember, Christopher, what Buteka said. Because to my recollection, Buteka said, I made an experiment. I found the best posture for sleep, vertical posture in armchair. That's it. Next posture on left side. Next third posture on your tummy and right side. The worst posture on your back, that's it. According to my experiments. And, 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 and the urge, you will see the urge because if your body got used to losing a lot of CO2 at three o'clock or four o'clock, that's how it's operating now. You pick it up during the day because you're very good and very careful and you do a few pauses. And then at nighttime, the body is just fine looking for ways to get rid of it. Because if it doesn't get rid of it, it has to change. It seems to be inherently lazy. It doesn't like to change. So it'll try to, you know, and the CO2 will fly out. And that's why it's obvious that, uh, and you just you just have the gravi gravitational issues, you know, like a gyro, basically. If you're on your side, the stuff will spill out. Yes. For healthy baby, there is no difference. All right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. See, but after... Of, but there wasn't furniture. There was no furniture until the last few hundred years. Yeah. Go back to medieval times and you've got a chair. Really? Woohoo! You know, you have to be a big guy to have a chair. You have to be a prince or duke or aristocrat. Or you've got, you know, dining room table. What are you talking about? You're joking, you know? Can't afford yeah. this kind of stuff. And beds... The king had a bed and this one had a bed. Another normal people, they didn't have beds or chairs. Very little furniture from the medieval times. There's some furniture, but it's not much. So we didn't really sleep in our beds. Yeah. That's true. And there's some studies that affirm that, that the posture was actually uh, on an angle. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't horizontal. Uh, I was in a museum in London of, uh, of Handel. You were Handel lived in the 17th, uh, in the 18th century. And they show you his bed. And the bed is looks more like uh, the whole upper body part is completely almost vertical. It's in an angle. It's, it's quite interesting. Now they use the same as the idea in hospital, hospitals. Abudeka talked about this 80 years ago, about vertical posture. Interesting. And of course, like you see, it is a habit. And of course, people should practice in lie down position and keep you shallow breathing until they will get or develop new habit to breathe shallow despite horizontal position. But it's such a mess of to course. get, you know, because it's a struggle because you got bills to pay, a job to deal, relationship to manage. And now you're on the sofa trying to sit upright and 
managing with bloody pillows at two o'clock in the morning. It's very difficult to, to get this idea across until the people understand the mathematics of it, because you've got three to four liters a minute being ideal. Well, how many minutes have you, are you sleeping? I mean, like your breathing will increase a lot. And you've got thousands of liters of, CO, of, uh, of uh, uh, respiratory gas increased. You know, it's like it's like uh, driving a car. You know, um, if you drive like a nut, you, you, your fuel will go down because you're always on the gas. You know, well, that's what happens when you're uh, asleep. The funny thing is that you think that you're peaceful and quiet and still and gentle. It's asleep. But in actual fact, the organism is cranking up. Yeah, working very hard. Yes. Like you walking upstairs. With some, you see, heavy sack on your shoulders. Buteka said the same. You think you sleep, you're taking a rest. No. If you're being so deep, you're working so physically, working so hard. Your body physically working so hard. You're losing energy a lot. And people um, don't realize that nightmares are caused by such breathing. I was I was going to say actually you have a also Buteko had a different view on dreams themselves right is that correct No nightmares you see what Buteko said due to deep breathing okay. people should, should not have nightmares at all sweet dream okay you are sleep apnea snoring this process okay have physiological explanation from breathing point of view why sleep apnea happens because body losing carbon dioxide and body knows it's not a good idea. According to physiology, if level CO2 might drop to so low, okay, point, body should die. It's like low, so low temperature of a body. Okay, body should die due to low temperature. The same. That's why body should stop its breathing. And when body doesn't breathe, our body produces carbon dioxide all the time. Elevate a little bit more carbon dioxide to be alive. But basically, with sleep apnea, the apnea only occurs after a period of deep breathing. And what yep. one way to start avoiding deep breathing, to maintain nasal breathing during the night? Eat two and a half hours before bed because full stomach push people to breathe deeper to tape mouth, and like Christopher mentioned, make you see bedroom simple. No, you see many things like furniture or curtains, all right? Otherwise you should vacuum them before, before sleep every day. Simple, what would I said? Refresh air, leather, boot, simple stuff. And hot bed. Leave the light on. Not too hot, not too cold. There's this floppy thing that happens that causes uh, in, in the soft palate starts flopping around. Yeah. So this deep breathing. Sleep, sleep, sleep apnea is like, or you might say apnea is an asthma of the upper bronchus because it, it, it's, it's trying to stop you from breathing, right? That's all it does, right? And yes. the floppy airways, they call them floppy airways. It's a very technical term, floppy airways. And uh, they're wondering why the airways are becoming floppy because genetically the person is uh, uh, has been constructed so that if they overbreathe, these airways will collapse 
and cause them to do breath holding. And they're doing breath holding. And that's why they have the apnea. The apnea, everyone does. Apnea is the gap between each breath. We, we have all have apnea constantly. But this apnea is the relaxation between each breath. And uh, if you overbreathe, they, uh, they have this little thing that you wear and you can check your when you have apnea. And they, they, they don't like the apnea because you stop breathing and they consider that bad. But the body considers it good. It considers asthma attack good because when asthma attack comes, you, have, you, you grow your CO2. You can't breathe. The spasm stops you from breathing. That's why no one died of asthma attack until they developed bronchodilator medications. Up until that time, people just suffered asthma, but they don't die. In fact, they used to outlive non-asthmatics, despite being feeble their whole lives, even. And a sleep apnea is a kind of asthma. It's a upper bronchoconstriction. And the methodology, the method the body uses is to make the airways weak and floppy. And when you hyperventilate, their effect is to collapse. And uh, when they uh, when they uh, reduce their hyperventilation, they get the... nobody has a sleep apnea when they're walking in the Tesco's pushing a trolley. No, you have to lie down and start over breathing first. Yeah. They don't wearing a machine during the day. They only wear it at night because they are because their breathing increased and the floppy airways did their job. Interesting to see, see him because they don't have enough okay logical thinking. <laughs> they didn't write this question before. I never heard. I, I I have a friend. I told him that my sleep habits had completely changed, and I told him about you know I do courses at night and and all of that. And he reminded me of the neurological damage that I was going to have because of that. What, what would you respond to that? Oh, yeah. You will get neurological damage. But it's not damage which is dangerous. It's damage which is helpful. Because if you... Uh, they don't like it. Oh, it's very... Because when you begin to shift your sleep and uh, your, your consciousness will obviously change and you'll become more reflective and uh, as a result and therefore you will you will not be so obedient for example and you might you might not agree with things so easily you might form your own opinions a bit more forthrightly and that's not uh, good we don't want that you see we want compliance yes but you have to control that's why in the military i mean what i couldn't understand and i have never served never done anything you know really But I did go, I did do courses, obviously, because I got a scholarship to do courses in the Australian army. And all they're talking about, how to feed men, when they should sleep, when they should wake, how much they should march, and adjusting food for this, food for that, sleep for this, sleep for that. So, so what is all this? You've got to control them. You've got thousands of men, you know what I mean? All living together, like, you know, they're going to tear each other apart in fighting with each other, or they're going to think about, what the hell am I doing here? I don't want to be here. So how do you train them so you can absolutely control them? And it's done through sleep and uh, route marches and exercise and diet. 
and those three things are manipulated very, very there's no reflection you're not allowed to rest you there's no rest you can sleep for fine but you cannot rest because rest means you'll reflect you'll begin to think not good not good at all but that's what we don't want and so when you when you um who was the famous economist uh, said that it's better just even if the system is shit but people understand it it's better to go that way than set sail on the waters of the unknown you know because that is more horrifying than a disastrous system he said it in a few sentences i took a paragraph and i forget what he said actually but anyway they're exact words and so when a person starts to take control of their sleep and uh, to, uh, all the emotions and all the changes that occur when they do that they begin to know themselves more accurately they begin to know their personality more accurately they begin to see things a little differently you know and that's that's because and also because you increase your level of co2 and that's and 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 sleep and mentality and all these sort of things are going to be very closely closely uh drawn together somehow i don't know the mechanisms really i just i know i could just saw it by experience that the problem with conventional advice around medicine is it makes people breathe deeper which contributes yeah. to the whole mass yeah, of... they, they should sleep on their backs yes Even and yeah and eight back. hours eight hours and, and then they have this mask on in somehow they they lose their concentration they become much more foggy in the brain over the years yeah. yeah they become completely stupid people who stay on this stuff they become they become you cannot live a normal you that's it you are out you can't stay on that machine for long eh, for a few years you know uh and then when things begin to deteriorate you think it's just other things you know but there's nobody on a sleep apnea machine who can do anything you so know not, not for long <laughs> When are they going to catch up? Because obviously, obviously, that's not working. Nothing of this side. None of their ideas work. It's a whole insurance industry and machines and this and leasing and buying machines and selling machines and medications and this and you know, it's a big deal. You know, I, mean, I had one guy back in the old days. I had one 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 patient who was furious partially because he spent $1,500 and now what's he going to do with it? How quickly does one get rid of that machine when they start doing Buteco? What's the average? In my experience, three or four nights. <laughs> if the person is focused, the practitioner doesn't have to be focused like that. Maybe it takes them two weeks. So what? It doesn't really matter. One week, two weeks, three weeks. But if a practitioner is focused on that, I don't know, what do you think, Vladimir? Three or four days? No, it depends on CP, of course, and how long person is here has been using this machine. It is partly psychological problem, maybe even 90% psychological problem. So use it when you need it. Use it when you need it and do a pause instead. And they go from three hours of sleep apnea machine down to 10 minutes. It's, you know, like, okay, well, that's a good start, you know. I remember a lady came to a free talk and before she had started the workshop, 
just by taping her mouth at night, sleep apnea had gone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, exactly. it's interesting. So we tackle this this problem quite early in the in the run of the podcast. I mean, we've spoken about you know motherhood, babies, etc., and now we're going to start talking about actual illnesses. But uh, even for a practitioner who's been working on this for a short period of time, we have seen massive changes in, in sleep habits very quickly. Like in one night, there, there was this uh, patient from Chile and we did the first day of the workshop. He was seven years with in, insomnia. He never had insomnia ever again after that. Like on the first day, like we didn't even start the practice. He just did some shallow breathing. It's like, I slept well tonight. It's like, yeah, 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 that's, that's, that's good. That's good. And then he just continued giving that feedback until it was gone. I mean, I put sleep after Now it's a bigger deal because I don't know why, but back along, you know, 20 years ago, People had sleep apnea, but didn't use the machine quite often, but they had some problems. And some bought a machine, very expensive, back in those days. Now they're very cheap, I guess. And uh, it was, uh, it was uh, kind of an odd thing, you know? It was like, you know, and it, you, it, was, it was like back in those days, like migraine headaches, high blood pressure, sleep apnea, very bad mood, moody. Um, drop in blood sugar levels, depression, and you would somebody would come with a control pause of 16, he would go to 26 or 28, but they bullshitted a bit and it turned into they reckon 35, but okay, fine, everything. And then you talk to them and you'd ask them, How's the uh, Boteca method going for you? And they'd say, Well, I'm not doing that much, uh, practiced a little bit. And has it helped you? Well, yeah, maybe, I guess. It's okay. You know, not much, really. And how are your headache, your migraines? Oh, no, no, no. Don't have any more migraines. Okay. And what about blood pressure? No, no. No, that stopped about six months ago. Oh, yeah, okay. And what about sleep apnea and sleeping problems? No, no. I just go to sleep when I'm sleepy and I wake up when I wake up. That's it. So apart from the high blood pressure, the sleep apnea and migraine didn't do much. <laughs> People quickly accustom themselves to a new normal and forget. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm thinking maybe, maybe Hugh or Jeff want to add something to what has been said. Well, it's not so much asking as um, saying that when I was in hospital recently, I um, taped my mouth at night and the nurses would come up and say, why is your mouth taped? And I'd explain and they'd say, what a good idea. I must tell my husband and give him some tape. And But next to me, in the beds next to me, there were three men and they would sit up in bed because of those beds are certainly beds in which you sit up. But their mouths were wide open and they were it was quite extraordinary and no one paid them any attention at all they were sleeping with their mouths wide open 
And to me, when I first heard about the Pateka method, I took to wearing the tape very easily. And I have not looked back from that. I find it absolutely brilliant. And I would recommend anyone to tape their mouths at night. So what's been brilliant about it? Well, I do sleep much better. I don't wake up very often. The only thing that wakes me up is my bladder, but that's better now. And that's quite good to wake up a couple of times during the night. So the better but, quality of sleep. Uh, yes. With less of it. I have been dreaming a bit recently, but not, not unpleasant dreams, just bloody silly dreams, <laughs> which are quite entertaining, but I sometimes wonder about that. <laughs> But you know, it's funny, Hugh, because your story completes a loop of Bottega's discovery because I don't know if it's true or not, maybe Vladimir can confirm it, but apparently one of the things that made Bottega click somehow was he watched the breathing of people in hospital in the wards of the terminally ill, people who are about to die in a week or in two days or three days or five. 10 days or whatever. And he looked and saw the, the heaving chests and mouths open and big ventilation. And the contrast was when he went to the, the, um, the, the maternity ward and saw all the babies and their breathing is, you, you can't see it. It's uh, like a, just like a vibration. Is that a true story, uh, Vladimir? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And did, is it true that he brought doctors and people and showed them and pointed yes. and said to them? Yes, After his visit, nurses began to tape the mouths of children in nighttime. Many hospitals, including some mental disorders, psychiatric. All your people with psychiatric disorders, like the ones who are in mental institutions and so forth, right? I always watch their breathing. And oftentimes it's very good. Breathing is shallow, breathing is light. And then every 15 seconds or 10 seconds or 12 seconds or whatever, they make a big breath. So you're talking to them, they're talking, blah, blah, blah. You can't see anything. I'm looking, you know, because they're talking mad stuff. And then it comes through the nose or even a big breath through the mouth every now and again, usually about 10 to 15, 20 seconds. That's what I've seen. Interesting. That's all, yeah, I've been into the psych wards and you can just see it. Yeah, there's a big connection. And there's a big connection between sleep, uh, psychiatric conditions, the whole nervous system, and, and the way we breathe, yeah? As you just pointed oh, yeah. out. Uh, absolutely. There's, there's no doubt in my mind hmm. that those two are very closely. There's no one, there's no cuckoo people who sit there with a shallow breathing, high control. No, no, no. No, they're not. A topic for another podcast. We, yeah, yeah, that, that was exactly what I was going to say, that we will talk about this in a podcast, yeah. Yes, Jeff. Yeah, I have, I have a quick comment with respect to sleep, and I remember one of the 
things I've learned is that if you love your children, you check their sleep at night. And it's uh, something my wife and I have, have tried to be consistent about is at least one of one, either her or I taking turns, waking up and just checking the children's sleep at night. We, we have our children mouth tape at night, but just to wake up and make sure that, oh, like one of my sons tends to end up on his back. And it just, it's, uh, it's an important safety measure, I think. Absolutely. Uh, in many communities, American Indians and other communities which lived in tribes at night, they had someone whose job it was to watch everyone sleep. That was their job. They were on duty, basically. And so that's how they lived. And the Australian Aboriginals the same. Somebody was up. The whole village, the whole camp did not go to sleep. The fire kept going and there were people on duty because there's animals, dingoes, lions, whatever. There's also a fire that you need to keep going. And, uh, you know, somebody has to watch what's going on. And if someone starts having a nightmare or breathes on their back and all, all this sort of stuff, it gets stopped. It gets uh, put to right. The carbon dioxide yeah. thief. I have a, another yes. comment of something that came up, uh, an idea that yeah, an organism is very, very vulnerable with this deep sleep stage. I remember uh, it was either earlier in this discussion, Christopher or Vladimir mentioned that animals will sleep very lightly with a level of awareness. And I would think that from natural perspective that, yeah, what, needing to sleep eight hours completely unconscious a night is, would put you in a state of, of vulnerability. Yeah, when you're in deep sleep, yes. But I'll, I, I'll, I'll tell you something which Stalmatsky told me, which apparently Buteka told him. But I mean, once again, Vladimir can confirm if it's true or not. But apparently, um, according to Stalmatsky, that Professor Buteka was so obsessive about measuring things. He was like a measurement freak. He had to measure everything and had it and had to agree with his theories, or he'd have to change his theories, obviously. And apparently, he measured the function of liver, kidney, heart, brain, this, that, and all this stuff. And he then he chose subjects in various states. And what he found was that the state in which your organism works best in terms of functions of the major systems, nervous, cardiovascular, hormonal, brain, digestion, all this sort of stuff. It works best when you're a little bit hungry, when you're a little bit tired, little bit, not exhausted, just a little bit weary. And when you're a little bit short of air, when you're a little bit air hunger, little bit of air hunger, little bit of appetite, and little bit tired. That's when everything works the best. That uh, is that true, Vladimir? It is. And now I recall, see, professional sportsman couldn't accept this. <laughs> because Budeka, stop eating before competition. Stop eating. Be hungry. Partially hungry. The what? <laughs> they couldn't accept. But it's true. Buteka, you see, found through his experiments. But all writers 
and academics actually know this because they have to sit and work and put out documents, right? And that's why uh, if you meet some elderly academic, you know, and he has to write pages and pages and pages of stuff, his work, he has to manage himself very, very carefully. He just can't eat like a pig. Oh, I'm hungry. Uh, I think I eat something. He's thinking, I've got to write 40 pages of garbage to publish. And it has to be right. I, I have to do it. So I cannot eat all these cakes and tea because I know it's not going to work. I won't be able to do my job. And so a lot of people actually became aware of eating and sleeping, consciousness, resting, working, particularly the high output people. Um, there was one businessman in Australia who had a private jet, a DC-10. His name was Robert Holmes Accord. And I flew on his airplane because I knew his son. And the, we were talking to the air hostess and she remarked that your father is very peculiar because I asked him 10 times, does he want a cup of tea? He says, I don't know. He'll think about it and let me know. And she come back, you just want a cup of tea? He's, I'm not sure. And he would spend hours and hours just looking out the window of the airplane, not eating. The whole kitchen is there with a cook and chef and turkeys and everything. And he'd sit there like that. Why? Because he had to think constantly how to rob people and how to get money and how to buy company, <laughs> do all this work. He's got to think. And he knows if his thinking pattern gets all mashed up with chicken and potatoes and cups of coffee and tea and whatever, he won't be able to function. And watch a movie was out of the question. He bought a movie studio. And when he was asked, did he want to see his movie Top Gun? He said, not now. I'm, I'm not ready. So if you want to have high performance, then you got to be careful how you breathe, how you eat and how you sleep. That's and it. creativity comes a lot of I've heard composers talk about early hours of the morning when they compose or write. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's very clear. It could completely blow. It's uh, completely it knocks you down <laughs> to eat a lot. Yeah, that's why you cram. Everybody crams at two o'clock in the morning for tests. That's when you're sharpest. The brain temperature lowered a bit. You'd normally be deep breathing, and instead you are you're obviously regulating your breath more, being upright, and so people cram at three or four o'clock in the morning when you've got to get something done. That's when you do it. <laughs> yeah, when you procrastinate. During well. the day, you're <laughs> chewing the, your pencil the whole day. <laughs> very good. I think I think that was excellent. Thank you very much. I'll see you in the next one. As always, thank you for listening and you know you can find us in learnbutecoonline.net for more information. And I hope you will join us in our next episode of the Learn Buteco podcast.